Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Thank you, Ben, for that. <clears throat> you saved me some time and doing some of the, the introductions. Yeah, we, we've been coming here to Antioch. It's been powerful for our family. Uh, for you uh, who don't know us, we were living near the coast, and I just got a, a question asked to me from my boss about, hey, you want to go up to Raleigh and open up an office? And I was like, no. No, I don't. I, I don't like the traffic, and I feel like everybody's bunched up, and it's like an ant pile of people in one place. Uh, and when you grow up in the country and you're surrounded by fields and just open area, the appeal of the city is not there. Um, however, through prayer, uh, individually, my wife and I just really trying to listen to God. God, why are you asking if I should take this opportunity? He revealed to us in prayer that we are to come here. And we stepped out in faith, not even knowing why, where we were going to go to church, what we were going to do. We were just going to come and, and say, God, use us, do with us what you will, and show us what you want us to do. And, and God has moved powerfully in my family here. Uh, he's allowed uh, not only us to come up here, but my, both of my sons are here. My son, Keegan, he's, he's married. He's in the pew. He's married to Christiana. He's living up here, and he's uh, studying to become an electrician and get into the electrical field. Uh, my wife is directing a pregnancy clinic, uh, and she's a life coach for other women. And John Cole, he's just happy. <laughs> he likes to eat my groceries. <laughs> but God's, God's been powerful, powerfully moving in our family, but also here. When I, when I come to Antioch, I put it under a, you know, a magnifying glass. I'm like, you know, this is what's wrong with this church, and this is what's wrong with this, and I didn't like this. But when I got to looking at it, all the things I was pointing at were things I had issues with, but God had actually lined it up with Scripture. They were doing what God had called them to do. And uh, God's been good here. He's anointed this church. When I'm here worshiping in truth and spirit with you, I sense the powerful presence of God. I mean, I've seen healing here inside of this building. I've seen people get healed. And um, you, you can't taste that and walk away from it. Uh, it. It draws you in. God has anointed us, and he's been a good father. And with that being said, I'll say happy Father's Day to all you fathers this morning. We are on the summer series title called In Commission, and I wanted to hit a few stats about fathers and their faith and their church attendance this morning. There's some things that are going to really, I hope, open your eyes as they did mine. You know, Father's Day is the holiday with the single lowest average of church attendance. Statistically lower than Labor Day, Memorial Day, and even the 4th of July. And this is interesting, especially when you consider that Mother's Day is the third highest attendance of church behind Christmas and Easter. So dads, we, we got to step it up. Something's going on here. Uh, so Mother's Day is one of the high, highly attended Sundays of the year, and Father's Day is one of the lowest. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you now you know why you're getting me today instead of one of those <laughs> high-end Antioch preachers. Ben, did you set me up, man? <laughs> uh, just joking. Now, Steve, uh, he's in Mozambique on missions. Chris Jolly, 
He just needs some sleep because he's got two newborns. Uh, ben just returned from missions in Tijuana. And um, the Antioch team as a whole, we are really active right now. We have missions going out. We have people helping the community. We have people helping downstairs with Antioch kids. We have the youth ministry going on. We're really wide open doing what the Lord has called us to do. And I hope uh, if you're new here this morning, I hope you're getting a little insight to what God is doing here with his people who are obedient and heed the calling on their lives. Seriously, though, here's what's really striking. I just told you some, some statistics up there, and we'll throw some slides up about church attendance. When the father does not go, even if his wife does, one in 50 children or 2% will attend when grown. When the father does go to church, 66 to 75% of children will attend church when grown. That's huge. You throw Bible study in there, when both parents attend Bible study in addition to the Sunday service or Sunday school, 72% of their children will attend Sunday school when they're grown. When only the father attends but not the mother, it drops to 55%. And when the mother attends but not the father, it drops to 13 And when neither parent goes, only 6% of children will attempt to attend church when they're grown. Moving on to what about the first person to become a Christian in the home? If a child is the first person in the household to become a Christian, there's about a 3.5% chance that the household will come to know Jesus. If the mother is the first to become a Christian, that jumps up to 17%. However, if the father is first, there's a 93% probability that everyone in the house will become followers of Jesus. Here's the point of all these stats. Dads, your impact on, ki on kids through your faith, through your attendance, your devotion to God, it's huge. It's huge. 1 Corinthians 4.14 says, For you can have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. There's something about the word father, and we need to draw our strength from our Father in heaven. This morning, if you're a father, you see the stats. You see the difference that it makes when you're involved, not only with church, but with your family. And with that mention, we'll go into your primary calling in your home, which is you're called to your family. The stats may show us or justify really our lack of responsibilities or our ignorance of stepping up and accepting our responsibilities as dads. Most men don't see themselves as rejecting God even when they're living an open sinful life. They know they're, they're bound by sin. They know that they're not living right. They know that God's called them, but for some reason, they're, they're falling back from it. Like, whoa, whoa. You know, what is it about the responsibilities there that, that concern us? Being inconsistent in the areas of God that he's clearly defined, like loving God and loving others and making disciples, these are things that we can do in the ebbs and flows of our lives. I'm up here this morning as a, a youth pastor and a, a minister of the gospel, but I also work full-time. I, I work in construction. It's not an easy place to, to always bring what God has called you to into being. The research shared here should really open our eyes and point us in the direction that, hey, if I don't get to this altar and get right with God, I'm impacting my family. Ask for help. I mean, 
I don't like asking for help. I've got a wife in the pew that will attest to that. I'm the guy who's, when I'm driving, I don't want the map. I just want to stroll down the road. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I, I think this is the way we should go. <laughs> you know? But sometimes when you're lost and you can't figure it out, it's okay to ask for help. It doesn't make you more manly or a better father to go blindly into something without seeking God's direction or the direction of other men God has put into your life. The Bible is clear in regards to God's believers as well, through fellowship, encouragement, worshipment, and prayer. You know, it's hard to help somebody when you're not spiritually healthy, or you're not spiritual, spiritually physical fit, physically fit. How can I help someone else? How can I guide my sons? How can I lead my wife to Christ if I'm not headed towards Christ myself? Hebrews, Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. And Acts 2.42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They also were in unity with one another and in unity with God. And the reason I bring this up is because we just read the stats about church attendance, and then we think, well, eh, you know, I don't need to go to church every Sunday. I can just pop up the TV, get a sermon, listen to a podcast. That is not what Scripture says. Scripture says, says that we're to motivate one another and to encourage one another, that we're to build one another up that we are not to neglect the meeting of, of becoming here and getting in the church house and worshiping together and listening to the word and greeting one another. You can't motivate or encourage someone who isn't here. You can't be encouraged or be motivated if you're not here. Well, I don't need motivation. Well, I don't either. I'm a very motivated person, but I do need encouragement. And there's some in here that you don't need encouragement. You need motivation. Well, whatever it is, God knows what you have need of. And he put the body of Christ together to work uniformly and in a, a unified way to accomplish his will. And if you're going to stand alone, you, you might think that you're the head, but you actually might be the pinky finger or maybe the pinky toe. But the body of Christ does not work when all the parts try to work individually. It works when we come together unified and in unity with one another. You're in a battle all week. I don't know about you, but even after Ben called me and I agreed to this, my week went poof. There wasn't enough time in the day, it seemed like, to do anything. I was up all hours of the night trying to handle work, trying to handle situations uh, with different things going on, and trying to say, hey, God, what do you got this week for the people of Antioch? You know, what's the message? You're in a battle all week. You're dealing with financial stresses. You're dealing with, with family stresses. You're dealing with work stresses. You're, you're actually dealing with the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy your family. So you put yourself out there on an island, and you're going to be weak. And the enemy is going to find your weakness, and he's going to come after you. Marriages, 
He'll come after your wife and you and try to create division. And if he can create division between you two, guess what? He affects not only her family, your family, but also the children. This is generational impacts here. You can't do it alone. You're tired and you're weak from the stresses of life. You need to ask for help. You need to come to God. You need to be surrounded by people who love God and can help direct you and pick you up. Your family needs the motivation. Your family needs the encouragement. They need the building up. They need the the worshiping together, the teachings, the fellowship, the prayer, the unity that can only be offered through Jesus Christ in his people. You know, sins, they have a, a way of creeping into our lives. And we know what happens, fathers, when there's no accountability to God or to each other. Something starts to creep in, and it's a slow fade away from the Word of God. It's a slow fade away from the responsibilities of taking care of our family. It, it's a slow fade to the point where we're not stepping up and protecting our families from the enemy who's sneaking around trying to devour them. Sins have a trickle-down effect, and they can unfortunately impact generations. Yes, even down into the third and fourth generations. Exodus 20 and 5, the last part of it says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Are you hearing that? I lay the sins of the parents on the children. The entire family is protected, affected, even children into the third and fourth generations who reject me. If we're living a sinful life and you can hide it from everybody, great, but you're not hiding it from God. You're not hiding it from God. He knows what's going on. And today, you're hearing my voice so you can do something about it. No good father desires for his sins or the sins of his forefathers to be passed down to their children. This is alarming. When I first read this, I was floored. I said, what am I doing? I am impacting my children and generations beyond that. What is my legacy going to be if this isn't dealt with? Well, thankfully, God knows how to take care of the things that we do not. Exodus 20 and 6, just one verse down. He clears up what may be an awful, alarming scripture. And he says, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. A thousand generations. So we're talking about sin and discipline from God due to rejection of God for three or four generations, but we can turn that around by accepting our responsibility to heed the call of God, to come into the responsibilities for our families and even ourselves. We get a thousand generations of chain-breaking forgiveness of life-altering love. Love which is so deep and profound, it blesses a thousand generations. I want that. I want that. Don't you? Don't you want it for your kids? Man, that's powerful. Fathers, it's your calling to lead your family, your sons and daughters, and also your wife. You're supposed to point him towards Christ. Some of us will get in trouble in this part. Hmm. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, Direct your children 
unto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. Training up a child in the way they should go, how do you do that? I mean, I don't know about you guys, or, oh, I point them towards Jesus. Well, that sounds great, but how do you do that? You know, do you, do you get up and pray with them every day? Do you read the Scripture? Well, you know, then they're going to see you out there working on the shed, hit your finger, and maybe blurp out something you shouldn't say, or you get frustrated, and, you know, the cars broke down on the side of the road, mom's calling, where are you at for supper, the kid's in the back seat, we're leaving a sporting event, you're tired, uh, your hair's like this, and you're just stressed out, you know, $4 in your wallet, what are you going to do? How are you leading your child to Christ in those times? You know, those are real life things. I made many mistakes trying to do what I thought was right, but it all comes down to is kids no fake you need to be authentic with your kids. If you mess up, say, I'm sorry. Ask them to forgive you. Could you forgive me? I mean, my two sons are sitting here this morning. They have seen me at my worst. I'm sorry, guys. I failed. I ask for your forgiveness. That's what it looks like. Kids recognize fake, and if you don't believe me, you go down to Antioch Kids. Go to the youth meeting. They know the scripture here, and they will challenge you. You better bring your A game if you're going down there to try to teach them about Jesus, I can tell you that. The parents here, they're doing an awesome job of teaching their kids about God's word. They're pointing them on the right path so when they're older, they won't go far from it. What kids really need is your love and time and affection authentic love. If you don't show them love, they will struggle to love themselves. And if you don't show acceptance, they're going to find it elsewhere. If you don't spend time with them, someone else will, and they'll have an influence on your child. And if you don't discipline them, the Bible says you won't have peace. They need to see Jesus in you, mercy, love, forgiveness. They need to see you worship. I was always, you know, when I was brought up in church, it was quiet. You didn't, you know, you didn't get real loud. But I'm, I've noticed that me singing out and raising my hands in church shows authentic worship to, our, to my kids and to my family. Our wives, getting back to that. Ephesians 5, 25 through 29 says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually loves himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. You know, this one's probably gets touchy to some extent. Um... But we need to realize, men, because I'm talking to you this morning, you fathers, you guys, if you're married, you don't have kids yet, okay, but this is how you're supposed to treat your wife. As a father who's called by God, as a husband who's called by God, as a man who says he's following Jesus Christ, these things are required. He gave up his life for, for his bride. Christ loved the church so much that he would lay down his life 
And I don't know if you've seen some of the funny videos on the internet, but there's times when something serious happens on a video and, and the husband will just take off running and the wife is left there stumbling, trying to get away. He forgot <laughs> that he's the protector of his wife. He's forgot that he's the one who's supposed to lead her away from danger. Just a gut check there. How much do you love your wife and would you give your life for her? Verse 26 is where I really wanted to get into it, washed by the cleansing of God's word. When, when Jenny and I got married, we had our own perception of what marriage was. I had what I thought, you know, hey, I'll cut the grass and she can go in the house and clean it. And when I come in, I want a hot meal on my plate. Uh, well, that got smacked right in the face there. Uh, now we know why there's sometimes marital troubles. It's the perception of what things are as to what God says they should be. I had to really dig into God's word to figure out what my calling was as a husband and as a dad. The scripture says I'm supposed to wash her with the word of God. I'm supposed to present her and point her to Jesus without fault and holy. It also says, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. So if I'm mistreating her, and I'm disrespecting her, and I'm speaking down to her, I'm actually mistreating myself and disrespecting myself. Because we are, we are not two anymore, we are one. And I'm responsible for answering to God for everything in my house. Yes, even the dishes, even the dirty floors, it's my responsibility to run my house in the way the Lord says to run it. It's not so I can yield over her, oh, I'm the authority in this house. Scrub that floor, it's dirty. No, no, that's not going to work. Number one, you're going to have a black eye. <laughs> but two, even if she was to get down there and be submissive and do that out of respect to you, even though that was uh, not the right use of your authority, you know, we're responsible for answering to God. Is that how you would speak to your wife in front of God? Is that how you would treat your wife in front of God? The, the one that God said, this is your helpmate. This is the one I'm putting there so you can fulfill your call. We had to figure things out in our home, and you will too. But washing your wife with the word of God, loving her as, as, as God says, it's going to make a difference. So now that we know the stats and we know how God says to protect, provide, and lead our families, we know a couple things need to happen. One, consistent fellowship. Consistent fellowship, life group, Bible study, time with God. These are all things that you can do as you're going through all the different things that you have in your life. And if your plate is too full that you can't make time for God, we're going to have to have a meeting, a come to Jesus meeting this morning. Because I've been there. And I can tell you that all the other stuff, it does not matter eternally. It does not matter in the kingdom of God. Things I want to do just because I want to do them that don't line up with what God's calling me to do are just distractions. Second thing, follow God's plan to lead our families. These will be the fruits of your time with God. You spend time with God, you start leading your family the way God says, and all of a sudden you start realizing, wow, <laughs> I have peace in my house. My wife actually is wanting to take care of me and do the things I expected, not because I told her, but because she sees I'm humbly seeking after God. 
I challenge you today to step into your God-given calling, your God-given calling of who you are in Christ. Your family will notice. You'll start dying to yourself. You'll start becoming the man of God that you're called to be, and you'll start uh, walking in his plan for you. Now, these are, these are very important things, and I, I, I don't want us to be lulled to sleep by scriptures or things that we feel we already know. These are things that you need to be reminded of. God didn't put these on my heart just because it sounded good. He put them on my heart because he knew you needed to hear them this morning. You needed to be reminded of these things. There's one more calling we have to get into, and for sake of time, I may have to get through some of this rather quickly, but you're called to your workplace. Last week, Chris Jolly, he kind of hit on some of those things of identifying your calling. You know, I do electrical work. I'm an electrician by trade. I'm in the management now, but I'm a Christian electrician. And although that sounds kind of cool to say, which one comes first? Am I the Christian first? Am I the electrician first? The, electri- the electrician part, it pays my bills. I mean, it allows me to have a car, a home, food, all these things. But that's not my calling. My calling is to be a Christian first. My blessing is I am a Christian electrician. I get to go into the construction field, and I get to talk to guys who don't hear about God very much. Taking your call into the workplace doesn't have to be compartmentalized. Our mistakes with that is that we don't take God's word out of the church building a lot. We come in here and we high-five and we hug and praise God and we worship together and, oh, the Spirit's moving. And we think, okay, now I'm going off to my work week. And we leave it right here. And that can't be. That can't be. That's not what Jesus showed us. He showed us to take the word wherever we go. So taking it into your workplace is not only a requirement as follower of Christ, but it's also something that all of us should aspire to do. You should be the same on Monday through Saturday as you are on Sunday in here. And that gets into the dirty backgrounds and shady spots of our lives when we say, well, I don't want the church people knowing what's going on at the house Monday through Saturday. You know, we got to we can't let that come out. Well, God already sees it. I'm sorry. You can fool us, but uh, you're not going to fool God. Your opportunities at work are significantly different. God says work is a part of our lives, and it's not bad or dreaded. Attitude, thankfulness, and perspective is going to change that. When you start viewing your workplace as a place for a mission ground, your whole perspective changes. Sometimes we don't see the impact of being in the workplace and taking our walk there. But you should be faithful and diligent. Colossians three twenty three and 24 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Knowing that you will receive your reward from God, you serve the Lord Christ. This is very important. I used to get all tied up going to work. You know, bosses asked me to do this, list this long to do. I've got five days to do it, and it takes 10 days to do it because it's 10 days worth of work. How is this going to work? This guy doesn't know me. He doesn't know how to run this office, blah, 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 so forth and so on. But then this scripture come into play. What if I start working at work like I'm working for God? What if it was God who determined my raises? What if it was God who signed my vacation request? 
What if it was God who kept me there and it was not that guy because I'm so highly valued? What if God had me there for a reason to impact the men and the women around me right there in the workplace? You know, I found in my walk with God that he puts me crossing paths with people, sometimes for a season, sometimes for a long time, because he has a plan for something to happen. My boss right now, when I met him, he believed that there was a God, but no one in his family was saved. Another guy in the office and myself prayed for this guy. His whole family is now saved, and he impacts hundreds of men every week. God crosses paths for a reason. If you're in the office, your Christian life should show up vibrantly. Maybe you're the one who needs help. It doesn't always look like what we think it should look like. Sometimes it looks a little different. How, we, how do we carry God uh, or, or what God's showing us? What's living within us, the hope, the healing, the peace, the prayer. How do we carry that into the workplace? How do we bless others while we're at work when the culture is like, oh, you can't talk about God? Oh, yeah? I can tell you, I got in trouble for talking about God at work. Sure did. I got asked to stop talking about, about God at work. I didn't stop. I figured God's more important, and he's got another job for me if this one doesn't work out. Yeah, amen. God honored you when you work for him. It doesn't always look good, but it does look like what God wants it to be. And he's expecting you to learn from the season you're in. There are seasons of work just as there are seasons in nature. We must be, go, and do what God's called us and commissioned to do. One of the biggest fields for harvest is our workplace. We spend more time with our coworkers than we do with our family. Do you realize that? Anybody in here realize that? I'm at work. 50, 60, 70 hours a week, sometimes even 80. I spend more time with them than my own family, and that sounds really awkward to say. But that's why it's the biggest harvest for us to really go out and to reap in and to bring in what God says to bring in. The goal is not just to impact families, but also those around us. His truth has to abide. Galatians 5, 20 through 22 through 25 says that we're to follow the Spirit's leading. You see the fruits of the Spirit. We're supposed to bring those into the workplace. Love, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control. The fruits of the Spirit are going to shine tremendously bright in your workplace because everybody thinks they can't do it, but sitting on my desk is a Bible. I'm not backing down, and I don't want you to back down either. If we go ahead and take it into the workplace, even if they say you can't have that on your desk, well, guess what? It's written right here. You can't take it out of my heart. You can't take it out of my mind. I'm going to show love to people in a way that impacts them. I'm not going to listen to... Look, I'm not trying to tell you to get fired here. I'm just telling you, God put you there for a reason. And you got to own it. You got to own it. Stop giving in to culture and start listening to the God of the universe. Matthew says, Let your good deeds shine for all to see, so everyone will praise your Father in heaven. Our current climate and culture says this lust is mistaken for love. Possessions are mistaken for happiness. Not offending someone is taken for peace. Tolerating others is considered kindness. And not responding to a Facebook comment is considered self-control. Yeah. How ridiculous is that, right? 
How ridiculous is that? These aren't the things that the Bible was talking about. It was talking about dealing with other people, intimate relationships with other people. We must be attentive to leading, the leading of the Holy Spirit in the workplace. And I'm going to start wrapping down, but i got some powerful stuff here. i got a couple more, so if you give me a few minutes, I'm going to wrap this up. I had an incident at work where I had a guy who was really trying to get me fired. He was trying to run me down, run my good, ruin my good name, just destroy my character. I'd been working for my boss for, for years, and he knew me, but he was even questioning me because this guy was running to him and telling him that I wasn't doing my job. I mean, he was going out in the field and telling all my, I was a project manager at the time, he was telling all the leaders on my projects, this guy don't know what he's doing, and, and I'll spare you all the, the stuff in between, but this guy was assaulting who I was as a person and affecting my livelihood, it got to the point where I didn't want to go to work. If I did go to work, what I wanted to do in my flesh was to hit him in the mouth. And, you know, I don't condone violence, but sometimes in your mind, you just imagine things. And this guy was one of those guys that when you hear his voice, your teeth starts grinding. It's like, mmm, mmm, man, mmm. But when I asked God, God, how am I supposed to handle this? This guy's fixing to impact my family. He's fixing to impact my life. What am I supposed to do? And, and some scriptures started popping up in my mind. You know, you think reading the Bible, you don't always understand it. You don't, you know, what is this for? Well, God brings it to the surface at the appropriate time. You know, we're talking about waiting on the Lord this morning in worship. Uh, I could just envision the angels saying, hey, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Don't do that. You know? But Matthew 5 says, you've heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Then you will be acting like sons of your Father in heaven. And then Romans 12 and 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. And I was like, what? God, how does this help? This guy is just destroying me. He's talking pure junk about me and just running me down. How can this be your plan? I, this does not feel right. You're supposed to help me. What about Psalms 23 and prepare the table for me in the presence of my enemies? No, Lord, smite him. He needs a good smiting. So reluctantly, but obediently, I started praying on the basis of these scriptures. And I, I'll tell you, I took my complaints to the Lord, and he heard a lot of them. And he was probably like, I've got to fix this because I'm just tired of hearing from Michael about this. Good grief. This, it ain't even that bad. He's just making it, you know. So every time I thought about this guy and, and my teeth were gritting and he was saying things, I prayed, God, bless this man. Bless his home. Bless his family. And, I, and I'm going to condense this story a lot, but I, I yielded to God, and we made peace with each other. I, we even separated for a couple of years, went different places, and come back together um, through a phone call. I got offered a job, and I said, Hi, I'm not working for this guy. I'm not working with him at all. And my boss said, you are his boss. His job is in your hands. Go. So this guy knew I had his job. I could have I could put revenge out there, and I could have got it, and it would have probably tasted sweet, but it didn't taste as sweet as honoring God and his word. And I'll tell you, after I honored that, God catapulted my career. He saw that he could trust with one little thing. And he said, okay, here's, here's something else. I mean, it was, 
It gives me chills right now, but what, it, what would have happened if God wasn't in the workplace? You got to take him there. Last story. I know I'm running on time. I got fingers pointing at me, but I got to get here. I got to get here. It's powerful. So y'all okay? You need a Snickers or anything? Coffee? Danish? <laughs> Promise, last one. I moved here doing what God told me to do, faithfully stepping out. Got here, first year was awesome, business was doing great, got the family moved up here, you know, I had, had those closest to me, those who love me most right with me, it, it seemed so great, and then all of a sudden it's like I hit a brick wall. All of a sudden my job started going sideways, morale started going sideways. I got to the point where I didn't even want to get up and go to work, I was starting to question everything. God, why did you bring me here to be in this misery? What in the world? I, I sounded like the people who were walking in the desert for God. He brought them out of slavery, and then they're going to complain about things. I got to that point where I was complaining and saying, why am I having to deal with this? The question should have been, God, what are you showing me in this? And when I finally got to that point of saying, God, what are you showing me? I need help. I am in serious trouble here. Ecclesiastes 4. Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I was trying to do everything out of my own might. I was praying, I was reading God's word, but I still thought that I had it figured out and I was going to do in this workplace what nobody else was doing and I was going to be the star. God couldn't get the glory in that. So he brought me to a low spot. So I asked another believer that I knew was in the office, hey man, can you meet me Monday morning at 7 a.m.? Yeah, that's before the office even opens up. We need to pray. I need someone to help me pray. I'm at a wall and I'm ready to just quit and give it up and go back home right now. So he met me there and we started praying. Man, we talked about the goodness of God. We, we prayed for work. We prayed for our staff. We prayed for our families. We prayed for everything we could think of. It was sometimes full of tears. Sometimes it was worshiping in the spirit, but it was sweet. My boss started asking, hey, what's going on over there? Your, your jobs are, they're all out of the red and into the black. You know, everybody seems like they're happy. The morale is good. What's going on? And, you know, I got to looking. And I couldn't find anything that had changed except for prayer. Prayer at the workplace. Now, every Monday morning, 7 a.m., before any offices open, we have office all across the southeastern part of North Carolina on a Zoom call praying that God will bless our business. Yeah, that's good. What would have happened if God wasn't in the workplace? Yielding to God and applying the gospel in your workplace is shunned by society, but it is necessary to overcome the advances of the enemy against people in their everyday environment. Hmm. Jesus told us what he wanted us to do, to go out, to make disciples, to share what God had done for us. Accepting your calling will bring you to the place where God can move you in the right direction at the right time in the right place. I'm an example of that. 
and some of you in here are as well. It's important to your family, to your work, and generations to come. And I'll get the worship team to come on up. Why don't everybody stand, please? One thing has been mentioned at the beginning was all are called, and this means you. Right where you are, right now in your families, right now in your workplace, right now when you're hurting, right now in your pew, right here, right now. You're being called for the glory of God to the working of His goodness in all things. Fathers, if you have not obeyed or just plain ignored the call, or maybe you haven't recognized the call with clarity because you doubt your calling like Moses did, maybe you don't know how to begin. Let your faith arise. Trust God this morning. Accept your rightful place of authority in Jesus' name. Our elders and our life group leaders, our ministry leaders, they're going to come to the front now because we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. Step out and let us come alongside you in prayer. If you're going to go into the workplace as a father, If you're going to go into your family as a leader, you need prayer. Step on out. Come up to the front. Life group leaders, come up. Let's show them we want to pray with them. Step out and let us come alongside you. Let those who have ears hear and answer the call of God. Come, fathers. Be commissioned to answer your call as a dad in your home. Come leaders, be commissioned to be Christian leaders in your workplace, unashamed of the gospel. Come all who need prayer. Thank you.